of the questions that I ask couples in premarital counseling is to use three words to describe the family they grew up in. You, you get a pretty interesting range of responses to that question, but one of the things I'm listening for is whether families are close-knit, closed, or whether they're kind of open and could accept a friend at the dinner table, could invite a, a distant cousin or another friend to go on a family vacation without any disruption. Because as you can imagine, if you grew up in a family that was closed, where you didn't share your time with others easily, and you were marrying someone for whom the door to the home was always open to a, a revolving door of friends and guests who would come in, that that could make for a pretty interesting dynamic later in marriage when one is kind of confused and frustrated why there never seems to be any family time, but the other thinks, well, what do you mean there's no family time? Our family is bigger than just the people who live in our home. It's interesting for me to, to let a couple begin to anticipate some of those differences. I don't know a lot about first century Palestinian family life, but I take it as a given that families were closer then than I know in my experience. That you were born, that you were raised, that you began a family, and that you died all in the care of family. Family was the primary social institution. You relied on one another to help you. And any time in the Bible, when we hear God reminding God's people to take care of the widow and the orphan, it's because without a family, if you're a widow or an orphan, without a family, you really had nothing to care for you. Family was so important. So when Jesus tells his followers that if you don't hate your father and your mother, if you don't hate your spouse or your children, if you don't hate your siblings, then you can't be my disciple. I assume that that graded against their expectation in some pretty dramatic ways. Maybe you, like I, grew up in a house with siblings, and there were moments when you would say loudly, I hate my brother, I hate my sister, or maybe even in those difficult, angsty teenage moments, you can remember saying, I hate you, to my mother or hate you to my father. But I don't think that's what Jesus means. I think Jesus wants us to imagine having to choose between following Jesus and loving family and having to make that choice in a culture where loving family is the definition of faithfulness. In Jesus's day, you can't be faithful. You can't be faithful to God if you don't care for your family. And yet Jesus is inviting his disciples to do the opposite. What does he mean? I presume that there's some hyperbole in this text. I presume that Jesus didn't really mean that all Christians must hate their family. We're here, many of us, with our families. We value family. So I trust that he didn't mean it in the simplest way. But I also trust that he didn't just say it to get people's attention, that he said these words to teach them something about who God is and how God works, and what it means to follow Jesus. But what is it? Sometimes Jesus uses an analogy that makes sense in the beginning, but by the time you get to the end, you're scratching your head thinking, you know, I thought I saw where you were going with that, but I don't really understand how we got where we ended up. And to explain this bit about hating 
family members, even hating one's own life. Jesus uses two real-world examples that, that seem to make sense. Who would build a tower? Who would build an addition onto their home? Who would build a new lake house? Who would take on a new car payment without counting the cost to make sure that you could finish it? Because you don't want to start the building project and finish. You don't want the repo uh, man to come and take your car because you haven't made your payments, right? You got to be careful about that. We all know that. That makes sense. Thank you, Jesus. I spend less time waging war, but I can understand that if if I were leading an army into battle, that I would want to do my homework and make sure that my army was able to defeat the other army. Otherwise, as Jesus says, wouldn't you sin for terms of peace? Of course we would, Jesus. Thank you very much. That's that's a good idea. So he he gets us thinking about it, and he lures us into this image to the point where we assume that the answer is, okay, Jesus, we've got to count the cost. I'm on the right page. But then he turns it on us and he says, so therefore, if you understand what it means to count the cost, so therefore, unless you give up all of your possessions, you can't be my disciple. And we say, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not the cost I was counting on. What do you mean? That's not reasonable. What does it mean for us to believe in Jesus? To believe that what God is doing in the world, in the person of Jesus, is so important, so paramount, so exciting, so powerful, that there would be no cost that could triumph it, could trump it. What would it mean for us to have so much confidence in what God is doing in the world through God's Son, Jesus, that of course we would give up family? Of course we would give up our life. Of course we would give up our possessions. What would it mean? What does it mean to trust that what God has in mind for us is better than anything we've ever imagined? What does it mean for us to put our our whole life in God's hand and say, no matter what I think is important, no matter what I think has value, I trust that your vision, God, is more important for me and my life and even my family's life than the one that I have. What does that mean? It means trusting that the vision God has for the world, the vision that God has revealed to us in Jesus, is our best hope, is one of love, is one of inclusion, is one of forgiveness, is one of reconciliation, is one where everyone is valued, If we want to live in a world like that, if we want to live in the kind of world that Jesus imagines for us, it's going to require the reorientation of all of our values, even those values we've always assumed were very important to us and to God. What does it mean to think not even of our families first, but to trust that what God imagines for our family is even better than what we imagine for our family? just as what God imagines for our life is even better than we could imagine. What does it mean to have trust like that? When you count the cost, when you connect the dots, A doesn't always, or B doesn't always follow A. It doesn't always go in a straight line. It doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it even startles us. But when the thing that's startling us is God's dream for our lives, that's a different kind of story.